0: I remember when I was a small boy, daddy would talk about things we were planning to do. He would talk about a vacation trip we were going to make. Or he would talk about going to see my grandparents. Or he would talk about various things that he was going to do. And any time my daddy would speak about his plans for the future, he would always say, well, if the Lord's willing, we're going to go on a vacation trip this summer. With well, if the Lord's willing, I'm planning to go to, to Dallas next weekend. It was not just a pious cliché as far as dad was concerned. It was the way he lived his life. And it was a clear recognition that the future was in the hand of God. James would approve of that. In our text, James asked the question about our life. In the verse preceding our text, in James 4 and verse 14, in the, first, in the verse preceding it, James says, Go to now. You that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. James tells us there, our life is nothing more than a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. He's issuing a warning there, a warning for those who make assumptions for the future with no thought whatsoever of God. Life and death are in the hand of God. And for every one of us assembled here in this auditorium this morning, life at its best is a very fragile enterprise. Just the other day, It was only a matter of a few feet or perhaps a few yards that stood between you and an accident on the highway. A tiny microbe, so small that it cannot be seen by the naked eye, has called many a man and many a woman away from the earthly toys of this life. The history books are literally filled with examples of the fragility of human life. The unexpectedness with which a summons may come. And all of us are keenly aware of the great tragedies that take numerous lives all in one fell swoop. The hurricanes, the tsunamis, the tornadoes are for those just a few short years ago that went to work in Oklahoma City at the federal building there. Life was going to be just like any other day. They went to work just like any other morning. Husbands kissed their wives goodbye. Wives kissed their husbands. They dropped the children off at school. They put the children in daycare. There was every indication that it was another day. And yet, Many of those people that kissed their spouse goodbye and dropped their kids off never went home that day. Or what about those on September the 11th of 2001 in the Twin Towers of New York City? It was going to be just another day at the office, and yet for thousands it was their last day at the office. Think about the things we've seen in recent weeks. Things that have touched our own lives. Things that have perhaps touched our community or those close to us. It was just another hunting trip for our friend Scott Watson. One of his many hunting trips. But he did not come home the same way this time. For young Mason Duvall, Wednesday night, he got off work and was on his way home and was making plans to enter the Marine Corps. But when he failed to negotiate a curve in the road, his life ended in a fiery automobile crash. Write this down. It's on your final exam. Life. Someday the sun is going to come rising over the hills in the east. It's going to warm this old earth with its mellow light. And folks, I'm not going to be here to enjoy it. I'm not going to see its beauty, and I'm not going to be able to bask in its warmth. Some morning the birds are going to be singing their songs in the treetops like I hear many mornings. But I'm not going to be around to hear that beautiful music. The flowers are going to perfume their, the air with their sweetness as they have done since God created them. I'm not going to be here to enjoy it. Because I'm going to have kept an appointment the Hebrew writer tells about in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. It is appointed unto man once to die. And yet that's something most of us never think about. We don't think about death and we don't think about dying. We act as though and we live as though we've got a long-term lease on life with options to renew the lease. We behave oftentimes as if we have gained and attained somehow some kind of immunity as though that cold and clammy hand of death is never going to be laid on our hearts. Beloved, that's a very foolish attitude to take about an inevitability. Because death is life's greatest. Perhaps it's only certainty. And yet, when we think about death, what is there to fear? I remember my uncle, Carl, a man that had numerous heart issues. A man that was a faithful Christian. Loved taking hunting trips into the high country of Colorado and Montana. My grandmother asked him one time, she said, Carl, with your heart condition like it is, is it really a good thing to to be in that thin mountain air in that cold weather for a week at a time, camped out and hunting? He said, well, Jewel, if I believe what I've said all, I believe all of my life. I've got something much better than this waiting for me. And I'm going to go hunting. Because when we think about it, what could be more pleasant than what's waiting for us after death? Here we have pain and we have partings. We have tears and we have tragedies. We have work and we have weariness and we have heartache and disillusionment. We grow old. Our eyes dim. Our hair turns gray. We try to find ways to even camouflage those things sometimes. I want us to think this morning about the thought of the idea of death. Then what? The 16th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, verses 19 through 31. Jesus there tells a story that's familiar to most, if not all, Bible readers. And I'm not going to read this morning. But it's a story that illustrates a striking picture of the differences in men's lives. It's the story of, as Jesus says, a certain rich man. Tradition tells us that his name was Diabetes. A certain rich man that was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Every day brought some new and fresh delight into the life of this man. One magnificent event followed another in rapid succession as far as this man's life was concerned. This man that Jesus tells about, his cup of life is literally filled to overflowing. It says he was clothed in purple and fine linen. Folks, that means he had custom-made suits. It didn't come off the rack. He had custom-tailored shirts. Nothing out of the package at Walmart or Target for this man. And it says he fared sumptuously every day. That doesn't mean Vienna sausage with cheese and crackers and a little Debbie oatmeal pie for dessert. We're talking steak and seafood, lobster and crab cakes. Delicate pastries and rich gooey desserts. Every material desire this man had was luxuriously met. And Jesus also tells us there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at the rich man's gate. A poor and wretched man, infirm, filled, covered with sores, lying on the ground. Begging only for the crumbs that would fall from this rich man's table. In Lazarus we see external misery in its most desperate form. Enduring trouble after trouble. The only source of comfort this man had in life was the touch of the dog's tongue as they came and licked the running sores on his miserable body. Jesus tells us that it came to pass that the beggar died. And the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. He tells us that the rich man also died and was buried. The text does not even tell us whether or not Lazarus was buried or whether he even had a memorial service. If he was buried, it was in a pauper's field somewhere and the undertaker was the only one that was there. But oh, I'm sure when the rich man died that the whole community turned out. There was a big visitation. There was a long funeral procession. There were a lot of tears being shed. I'm sure it was an elaborate affair. All the important people in the town or the village came to mourn his passing. It was on the front page of the paper. There was probably little, if any, notice at all made when Lazarus died. And yet, while Lazarus was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom, it says the rich man lifted up his eyes and held being in torment. Now before I talk about what's going to happen after death, I want to mention a couple of things that will not happen after death. After death, I will not have an opportunity to make things right with God. The story illustrated beautifully by this rich farmer that Jesus tells about in Luke 12. When he says, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. He had no room where to bestow all of his goods. He said, What shall I do? He said, I'll tear down my old barns. I'll build greater barns. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, Thou fool." This night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then who shall all these things be which thou possessest? The rich man, it says, lifted up his eyes in hell, being in torment. And what does he say? He looks and he sees Abraham afar off. And he sees Lazarus in his bosom and he says, Father Abraham! Send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my burning and parched tongue. I'm tormented in these flames. What did Abraham say to him? He said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receive thy good things and Likewise, Lazarus evil things. Now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. He said, Father Abraham, my tongue is parched. I'm tormented by these flames. Just give me the, just let Lazarus dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my parched, burning tongue. And Abraham said, Son, remember, that is going to be One of the greatest agonies of eternal hell. Memory. Because memory will not die. And we'll have an opportunity to remember all of our lives and what happened. Memory will be one of the greatest agonies for those who spend eternity away from God. Memories of lost opportunities. Memories of opportunities to do good that were not taken advantage of. Memories of unkind words and unkind deeds and unkind actions. Memories of times when we were not Christ like. In the way we lived and in the way we treated one another. Memories of things we failed to do. You see, that's the first request the rich man makes. It's for himself. And that request is denied. And the second request is, he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house. I've got five brothers. Tell him to go and warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. You see, he found out something else. He found out it's too late to do mission work. He found out it's too late to be concerned about lost souls. Now that he lifts up his eyes in hell and he's in torment, he thinks about his five brothers and he knows they're living, they're following in his footsteps. They're going to the same direction he's going, they're going the same path he's trod. He said, Send Lazarus. Let him go and warn my brothers. And that request is denied, too. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, oh no, Father Abraham, they're not going to listen to the Moses and the prophets. They're not going to listen to a bunch of preachers. But if somebody goes back from the dead, they're going to listen to Him. He said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. His first request was for himself. It was turned down. His second request was for others. And that was denied also. We won't have an opportunity to make our lives right with God. We won't have a do-over once death comes and takes us from the stage of action on this earth. But what's going to happen? There's going to be a resurrection and a judgment. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 and 18. He said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus God will bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another, he said with these words. It's going to be a resurrection after death. Paul would be preaching in Athens in Acts 17, verse 31. And he says there, God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world. When the Hebrew writer said, it is appointed unto man once to die, he added, and then comes. We will stand before the judgment bar of God and receive the things done in the body, whether they're good or whether they're evil, we're going to answer for the life we lived, And there's going to be a separation. Just like the separation that occurred with the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man died and was buried. The beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. They were separated. When the rich man said, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, he said, no, it can't be done. Because there's a great gulf fixed so that you can't pass back and forth. Fixed. That means it was put there on purpose. It didn't just happen. That that great gulf was fixed so you could not pass Between the two places, and there is a separation. In that great judgment scene of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus pictures for us that separation. He talks about, I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. It says that He's going to separate all men, as a shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. And to those on the right, he's going to tell them, Come and inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me to drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. And they're going to say, Well, Lord, when did we see you like this and do all this for you? As oft as you've done it under one of the least of my brethren, you've done it to me. But then he's going to turn to those on the left hand he's going to say depart from me you cursed and the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels i was hungry you didn't feed me i was naked you didn't clothe me i was thirsty you didn't give me anything to drink these he said shall go away to everlasting punishment but the righteous to life eternal what great heinous sins were those sent to everlasting punishment guilty of nothing We're not told that they were adulterers or murderers or liars or thieves. They just simply failed to treat people the way Jesus would have treated people. Their great sin was simply a failure to live God's kind of life. Nothing could be any plainer than the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. There in verse 21, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name we have done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. He said, Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, will be likened unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, they beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. But everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to a foolish man that built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, they beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus said, Not everyone that heareth these sayings of mine will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. He that lives my kind of life. You see, Jesus has commanded us certain things we do in order to be saved. That we believe in Him with all of our heart. That we turn our back on sin through repentance. That we confess Him before men. And that we are buried in the waters of baptism for the washing away of past sin. That is what Jesus has commanded that we do. After death, we won't have an opportunity to obey what Jesus has told us to do. And after death, with that separation, there's going to be heaven or there's going to be hell. Death is the gateway to glory for a Christian. Revelation 22 and verse 14, John would write, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into that city. And then in the very next verse, he tells that death is the door of condemnation to the wicked. For without the city are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh alive, When all the great plants of our cities have turned out their last finished work, when the merchants have sold their last yard of silk and dismissed the tired we clerk, when the banks have taken in their last dollar and declared their last dividend, when the judge of the world says, close. Asks for a balance. What then? When the chorus has sung its last anthem. And the preacher has said his last prayer. When the people have heard their last sermon. And the sound dies out on the air. When the Bible lies closed on the altar. And the pews are all empty of men. When we all stand facing the record. And the great book is open. What then, when the actor has played his last drama and the mimic has made his last fun? When the film has played its last picture and the billboard displayed its last run? When the crowd seeking pleasure has vanished and gone out into the darkness again? And the trumpet of all ages has sounded and we all stand before God what then? When the bugle's last call sinks in silence and the long marching rows shall stand still. When the captain has given his last orders and they've captured the last fort and hill. When the flag has been hauled from the masthead and all wounded soldiers have checked in. When the world that's rejected a Savior asked for a reason.